This is the politics of everything, and I'm your host, Amber Danes. Welcome to the podcast where we want to discuss the politics of everything from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment to equality, and much more. Our guests are experts in their field or topic of choice, even if you've not yet heard their name. This is a bipartisan podcast. So while we love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate, by no means is this a one-sided forum for any one political view. So please listen up and enjoy the politics of everything. Happiness is the number one goal many people the world over strive for. However, very few obtain it in its truest sense. It seems at the heart of it, we all know that no amount of accolades, money, toys or lovers will be that final fix to help us be happy. My podcast guest today is Alex Dawson, who co-founded a company called Positive Scenario and has become Australia's only accredited trainer of the Happiness Advantage Orange Frog Workshop Program. He works with business leaders and groups all over the planet, teaching them the fundamentals of how we can all get our happy on. Welcome, Alex. Thank you, Amber. Good to be with you today. So at the simplest level, how can we define what it means to be happy? It's a great question, and there are many, many different ways to define happiness, believe it or not. The ones that we tend to use include one from Sean Acor himself in his book, The Happiness Advantage, which where he refers to happiness as uh, the sense of joy we feel in striving to fulfill our potential. And that covers all sorts of bases in terms of the research on happiness. But at an even simpler level, we can define it really as Happiness being a combination of that sense of fulfillment, that sense of purpose and meaning, uh, something greater than ourselves, and positive emotional experiences. So um, that's really, for me, the simplest definition of happiness. We have sense of meaning and purpose in our life, and we're experiencing positive emotions. It's super logical, but I think, you know, it can elude us sometimes. So I want to just step back perhaps into your early career and Any thoughts on how this idea of being really productive will make us happy or happiness will equal productivity in your early career? And, you know, I guess a little story perhaps about how your early experiences at work, were they happy, were they not? And, you know, for most of us, we spend so many hours a day in an office, but many of us don't feel that happy. Why? Yeah, the interesting um, thing here is uh, the realisation that the research is showing is that happiness doesn't come out of success. It's not a case of working hard to be successful and that will make you happy. In actual fact, it's happiness that fuels success. And um, in my earlier career, I had a a real eye-opening experience in that I relocated uh, to a leadership role in Hong Kong to, to run the Hong Kong business for the US company I worked for. And when I arrived there, I realized I didn't want to live in Hong Kong. Now, I still worked hard and, and, and still successful in um, turning that business around. Uh, but despite turning that business around, I still felt unhappy in myself. I wasn't fulfilled and, and, and joyous about life. In fact, I couldn't wait to get back to to Australia. Uh, I think that's really uh, the first experience I had uh, that highlighted to me that success in its traditional sense and in, in the professional and career sense doesn't necessarily make you happy. And in fact, you have to focus on happiness itself, uh, not expect uh, things outside of you to to make you happy. So how did you discover that you had an interest or a passion for helping others on this path to greater happiness and fulfillment? Were there some catalysts for you in moving from corporate life to where you are now? And could you share those with us? 
Yeah, I think the first catalyst was a long time ago. Um, and as I say that, I realized it was some some 12 or 13 years ago when I took on my first sales leadership role and, and was guided by a coach and mentor at the time that your team doesn't work for you, you work for them. And it was a real eye-opening moment for me in that what I found uh, as a result of following that path and and, and being a service-based leader, serving my team, was that my sense of fulfillment and happiness came from seeing them being successful, helping guide and coach them in their own success, meant that I felt happier and more fulfilled. It, it wasn't about the sales numbers we delivered. It wasn't about where we were on our rankings in the company, albeit that they were good. It, it was a, definitely a lesson for me. But I suppose it really only came home to roost that, that's something you can do on a full-time basis, as I do now. When uh, I returned to, to Australia from Hong Kong, discovered the content in and around uh, positive psychology and neuroscience, in particular, uh, Sean's Happiness Advantage TED Talk, and applied it for a couple of years in growing a business and then realized uh, what amazing results you can drive just by helping others find a deeper sense of fulfillment, be happier and more, more optimistic and positive in their life. Yes, it's, it's something we all definitely strive for. And that this TED Talk that you reference in your website that really kicked off, I guess, that professional investment in the idea of happiness as a business touchstone was from award-winning author and now obviously TEDx star, if you like, Sean Acor's TED Talk, which is entitled The Happy Secret to Better Work. What did that teach you about how you can maybe make Australian and maybe other workplaces happier and more productive? And generally speaking, what's the missing link you find when you go into places that might not be happy? It's a great question. That missing link piece, Amber, is is strange because um, it's almost like when you're speaking to senior executives and you say to them that happy people are more productive, there's no real aha moment. I think that innately we all know that we do our best work and we perform best in whatever we're doing when we're happy and in a positive emotional state. So that's not a surprise for most people. But I think the missing link often comes from two, what I would consider uh, myths, really. One is this this ancient myth that there's a, a maximum level of happiness at work above which you can't possibly be working hard enough. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but I've I know what you're talking about. Very much so. Yeah, I, I had I had a friend who um, he's the CEO of, a, of an international company, and uh, when I was talking to him about this, he said, "Oh no, I do that all the time," uh, and shared with me that he actually walks out of his office, and if someone is laughing, he's heard himself say, "What are you laughing at? Get back to work," as if you can't be happy and performing well. So that's the first missing link for me is I, I think we need to smash that myth. The, the, the second one is that work can actually be a source of happiness. And um, I think for many, it's, uh, it's not necessarily seen that way. Um, it's seen as a, a necessity to earn a living. Uh, it's seen as uh, for being for financial gain and not necessarily seen as something that can directly contribute to how joyful you feel about life. Oh, I totally agree. And I must admit, I, I don't know whether it's an age thing or what it might be, but I definitely feel this stage in my life where I've been working for 20 odd years, it's I feel like where I make a difference and where I contribute rather than try and get something, so not trying to get more money or get more accolades or whatever it is, definitely is a point where I go, I love what I'm doing. It's not always about 
that financial reward, as you say, or that external appreciation or obvious signs of being promoted or whatever it is that we traditionally associate in a workplace as being happy. It's definitely about contributing, giving back, having purpose and, and being appreciated. Absolutely. And the crazy thing, the crazy thing, Amber, is that organizations with a higher, higher purpose outperform other organizations by some 200% over the long term. So we have this strange dichotomy that we, if we overfocus on the financial rewards of work and business, we're actually sacrificing um, happiness and, and, and meaning in our life. But we're also doing that at the cost of overall business performance, it would seem. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting you say that because a lot of companies, and it was probably about 10 or 15 years ago, you know, corporate social responsibility became a buzz term where organizations didn't really know, especially big profitable ones, how to actually give back. And so sometimes it feels a bit tokenistic, like they might support a certain charity for a year because there's a vested business interest or the CEO is really passionate about a certain charity. So everyone has to get on board. But it sounds like it's got to be a little bit more deeply thought out than that. Yeah, I, w- I would agree wholeheartedly. I-, I love to see some of the movement around social enterprise and that by v- virtue of growing your business, you're increasing your social impact. It's inherent in the way you do business and what you do is actually delivering positive social and environmental impact rather than this tokenism you talk about where let's let's throw some of our profits to a, to a charity. Um, I think you can actually embed it more deeply in the, the culture and the DNA of an organization. And then it, it really is impactful at, at a social level, but also the individual level, um, far more rewarding and, and, and certainly drives a, a greater sense of fulfillment, I think. Absolutely. So where do most of us go wrong in this sense of what's going to make us happy and how can we get there, but more importantly, stay there? Like happiness sometimes feels like a transient thing because you're associating it with an emotion, but even when you have purpose, you're not always happy. So what is it that we're really trying to get right here. I love that you've hit on that um, that goal of perpetual happiness because that's not really what we're talking about. We have a full spectrum of emotions and they should all be embraced. Um, some are uh, associated as, as positive and, and some, some are not. I mean, we all have uh, bad days, right? Absolutely. That wouldn't be, that would be the, you wouldn't be human. You'd probably be a bot if you didn't. Uh, exactly, exactly. So I think the way that I tend to talk about it is First of all, we're not seeking to be permanently positive or permanently happy and on a happy high constantly. But what we can do as individuals, we can take steps that will raise our average level of happiness. We all have a sort of an average standard level of happiness based on our genes, our personal choices and our external environment to some extent. And what people can do is move up the scale in terms of where their emotions oscillate around. So that midpoint that they oscillate around can be can be pushed higher. So um, first first mistake I think that we make is, is thinking that happiness is a constant state of being. It's not. It's about being on average more positive, more optimistic and feeling, feeling better. Um, the second mistake I think we make, we've already touched on, and that is we look to our external environment to drive our happiness. And um, Research shows that's only 10% of our happiness. Interestingly, the other 40, uh, another 40% is from personal choice. It's how optimistic we are, um, deep social connections, uh, how socially connected we are, and our ability to see challenge and stress as a positive challenge rather than a negative challenge. 
that's that's where our opportunity is in that 40% because it's it's really about personal choice. Absolutely. No, you, you make it sound so simple and I think it probably is, but it's probably reframing how we react to situations as much as, you know, the idea of how to be happy and what's going to make us happy. Yeah, definitely. At, at a tactical level, there are lots of things we can do that will actively rewire our brain um, so that it's, it sees the world through a more positive lens. Um, and those are the things that at an individual level we, we can do. Uh, and they're not, they're not complicated. I think they just seem almost too simple. And I'm sure you've heard of all of this hoo-ha out there at the moment about gratitude and how powerful gratitude is and and just journaling things you're grateful for can change your outlook on life. Um, Underneath that is is an incredible process that is actually your brain rewiring itself because you're making a conscious effort to find things in life that you're grateful for. So as, as simple as it sounds, the... The process itself is quite complex. The, the the brain is building new circuits. Yeah, absolutely. Like anything, I guess it's like, you know, in the simplest way, it's a habit, right? So the more you do it, the more natural it becomes, the more real it becomes for you as well. And I can imagine, you know, in the beginning, it's like, oh, I have to say three things I'm grateful for every day or keep a gratitude journal, as you say. But I can see the advantage of it. It, it definitely makes sense. It's probably like the first time you do some exercise after a long break. It's <laughs> awful and painful and annoying and you can't see the point, but you know you should do it. So I think if we can kind of get some homework from you, that's probably the one thing we should all be doing. And we could do it very easily. It's not very time-consuming either. It's only going to take us a few minutes at the end of every day to really reflect and work out what, what we're grateful for and and actually articulate that. Yeah, exactly. This, these are not uh, neither complex uh, nor time-consuming things. It's uh, a few minutes a day um, done regularly and frequently and turning it, as you say, into a habit. There are positive habits. There are negative habits. There are, there are habits in the workplace. Um, we tend to think of them as work routines and, and work processes, the ways things just get done at work. And you can change those work routines so that they become corporate habits that, that support positivity, just like you can change your personal routines. Uh, and that's really what we spend time doing with, with organizations, helping them understand how do we create positive corporate habits. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the habits piece because that, that's at the bottom of all of this ability to impact our happiness. Absolutely. So what kinds of work do you really do in corporate Australia? I don't expect you to share all your client names or any of your deep dark secrets but just some ideas of you know I guess you go into workplaces and I'm just picturing I don't know a big four bank for example and a lot of places that are associated with making money and maybe not prioritizing that traditional sense of purpose if you like and and happiness and well-being how do you educate them without maybe preaching to them I mean how do you go about it so the, the traditional format we use is um, no different to a lot of training programs. It's, it's a two-day workshop that we put their people through. And in that workshop, um, the one thing that is different is the level of experience that that workshop consists of. So a lot of training will say it's experiential uh, in nature. The, the reason ours is, is so significantly experiential is you're really taking people on a journey. You're, you're allowing them to embrace the idea that it's okay at work to focus on their own individual happiness, that it's okay at work to show emotions, that it's okay at work to invest time and effort in themselves and their own emotional well-being. Uh, And I don't think that necessarily is something that people walk into the room with. Uh, It's not the norm in many, many workplaces. So we spend an entire day 
taking them on a journey on realizing um, some of the things we've discussed today, that happiness is a choice, that uh, they can take leadership in their own level of happiness, but they can also impact the happiness of others. And that happiness is an advantage. It is actually going to improve performance for them and the broader team. Uh, once, once they've kind of reached the point of almost being evangelists for this in, in, in day one of the workshop, day two of the workshop then starts to look at, well, how can we improve our environment? How can we change the way that work is done, the way we design work processes and job roles to embed um, habits that will create automatically for our teams moments of positive emotional experience in the course of just executing our roles. So, yeah, without, without going on too much, it's, it's a two-day experience that people realize that happiness is a choice and an advantage, and we show them how they can create workplaces which automatically give people positive emotional moments throughout their working day. So is there some sort of proof, and you did touch on it earlier, that the happy workforce is able to perform better and drive productivity and perhaps you know less absenteeism, all those sort of health litmus test if you like but what what's the sort of evidence that you go to when you when you talk about the proof because i can imagine some of these organizations are like okay this sounds great but you know what is it really going to do yeah absolutely uh without without the data people aren't really interested these days in in anything even if it feels intuitively right so uh we rely heavily on a lot of uh research from the positive psychology domain over the last uh 20 or so years and the types of studies that we can show or demonstrate uh, the benefits from include things like, on average, salespeople who are positive rather than neutral or negative are 37% more successful than their neutral or negative peers. Um, and the research behind that data is, has been borne out in multiple companies worldwide. Uh, in one example, this, this one kind of amazes me, the organization uh, out of the US called MetLife Insurance Company. Um, this is a published uh, study uh, and, and piece of work that they did. They narrowed down to one thing, and that was uh, a person's explanatory style. And you can either have what's called an optimistic explanatory style or a pessimistic explanatory style. People with an optimistic explanatory style um, describe challenges as uh, temporary and local. They're small and can be fixed. And people with a pessimistic explanatory style describe them as global and permanent big and they can't be resolved. Um, when they identified that those with an optimistic explanatory style in their company were outselling those with a pessimistic explanatory style by over 30%, they changed their entire recruitment process to focus solely on optimistic explanatory style as the priority screening for, for new salespeople. Those new salespeople who came on board managed to increase their market share by 50%. And what's more, we're outselling the previous salespeople by almost 80%. So there's some great real That's incredible. There's, there's the hardcore evidence for the doubters out there. Yes, absolutely. And there's many more. Absolutely. Great to hear that. I mean, I think that's that's what people want at the end of the day. And I think it's all well and good. But, yeah, we always want the statistics. I'm going to change tack a little bit. Who have been sort of some special mentors in your life? And they can be well-known people or it could be people in your family or your past work life. And is there one or two of them that you want to name? And what have they taught you about success and life wow. as well as happiness? Big, big, you saved the big questions to the end, right, Amber? Um, <laughs> These are the big questions. This is the meaning of life questions. Absolutely. Um, so I mentioned a, a, a professional 
mentor coach guide who, who I was fortunate enough to work for uh, many years ago, who took me under his wing and, and gave me my first shot at leadership and management. And he was the guy who said, you work for them, they, they don't work for you. And that was hugely inspiring for me and a big turning point. As, as I already said. So, yeah, in, in, in terms of naming, his name's Warren Anderson and he still works for the company I used to work for. And um, I've, I gained a great deal in uh, learning from him. I think the other one is, is actually my father. And I thought about this uh, in preparation for our conversation today. And it, it struck me that the reason, it, the reason it's my father, first of all, um, I watched him go on a personal journey of changing the way he related to the world. And uh, that made him a lot more fulfilled and happier in, in terms of how he approached it, things. But also he inspires me in many ways in, in what he does. But in particular, one quote comes to mind for me because he inspires me in what I do now. Uh, and he, it's a really simple statement, but it really stuck with me. And that is that the best form of professional development is personal development. And that really resonated with me that no matter what else you do in life, whether it's learning new skills, gaining new knowledge, um, in actual fact, working on yourself is the best contribution you can make to the world. So I'd probably say my dad in that sense is is um, the biggest uh, source of inspiration for me these days. Fantastic. Finally, to wrap up, what are your top three tried and true tips for anyone embracing the politics of happiness? And you have given us a lot here, but if you could give three quick things that people could do today or the next few days, what would they be? So I'm going to be cheeky and give you four if that's okay, Amber. Oh, okay. (laughs) There you go. You get an extra one. (laughs) One is uh, if you think it's for you, explore meditation. Uh, Meditation has got huge benefits for your mental and emotional well-being. It's a journey I've been on that I've benefited from, which is probably why I'm such an advocate, but it's certainly something we advocate in our programs. And it doesn't need to be, um, you know, the the deep Buddhist uh, go away and become a monk type meditation. Quite simply, you can be closing your eyes for two minutes a day and focusing on your own breathing just to give yourself that headspace. The second one is uh, conscious acts of kindness um, or random acts of kindness. We prefer conscious because we like to think of them as deliberate rather than random. And uh, doing things for others is is huge for your own uh, well-being and psychological fulfillment. The the next one is journaling positive experiences. Um, You can journal gratitude, but you can also just relive in your mind as you write it down a positive experience each day. And that also teaches our brain and rewires our brain to see the positives in in, in our daily life. Have uh, Have I given three or four so far? I feel like there's another one. Ah, exercise. And I thought there was one medicine. Oh, yes. Uh, and this has been well documented, and everyone knows exercise is good for them. But again, you don't have to go out on a limb here and, and, and sign up for CrossFit. Uh, 15 minutes a day, uh, the research says, 15 minutes a day of aerobic exercise. It could just simply be getting off the train to stop early and walking to work or taking a walking meeting whilst you're in the middle of your day or even just going for a walk at lunchtime. 15 minutes a day can certainly elevate your level of positivity, happiness, optimism and resilience. Perfect. Well, it's been a pleasure to chat with you today. If you do want to connect further with Alex Dawson, there will be some contact details on our show notes. You've been listening to The Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes. Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, we thrive on feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network and your friends and family. I'm also always on the hunt for fabulous new guests. So if you've got a view to share and an idea how to get our listeners excited, please email me at amber at 
bespoke comms that's b-e-s-p-o-k-e-c-o-m-s.com.au and we'll be sure to get back to you until next time